Fellas, I thought I'd talk to you, and not just you. This is a, a sermon for all of us, especially moms and dads, but for all of us who have a paternal role in someone's life, especially uh, as it you know, comes to spiritual things, and we'll talk about that in a second. But can we start with some uh, everybody agrees with me moments, or so hopefully everybody agrees with me. Can everybody agree with me that the family is the building block of all society? Like, you don't have to be a Bible, be- oh, well, I'm glad you like that, yeah, uh, you don't have to like even read the Bible to know that's true. You just have to go to a sociology class. It's just how it works. Uh, the human race um, progenerates <laughs> uh, by, by two people getting together and having kids. And those two people and those kids, however many, uh, become a family unit. And that family unit uh, helps those kids especially progress from infancy to adulthood so they can go and find someone else perhaps, if God wills, and do the same thing all over again. It's how it's always worked. It's how he designed it to work. It's his plan for human flourishing, the family. Now see if you can agree with me on this one. If you are a a child of someone, and everyone in here is, right? Uh, And you are the parent of someone, not everybody in here is, but maybe someday you will be, or, or, but even if you're not, can we all agree that the lion's share of our effort in the family goes into our kids and not into our parents. Now, some of us are at the age where our parents are aging to the point where we kind of have to step in and almost be parent-like in those relationships. Anybody with me on that? You know, but, but that, some of you are giggling. Anyway, uh, but that side of us or that time period that we give to helping our parents as they age is nothing compared to what we invest in our kids. We are our kids, our kids are our kids. If they uh, continue to outlive us, they will be our kids until we go see Jesus and we will always be parenting them. Now at the beginning, it is full time. Some of you young parents out there right now are falling asleep at the beginning of the sermon because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You didn't sleep last night because that little critter would not, you know, go to, you know, stay asleep in his crib or whatever. And, and that, that's just how it is. We are born helpless, completely unable to do for ourselves, and parents have to do everything for the first two, three, seven, 12 years. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, that's not how it should work. Eventually, kids become more autonomous. It's less and less hands-on. It's more and more, I can do it, right? Anybody, anybody in that phase? Then they become adolescents, and Katie bar the door, right? Everybody just hang on. Here we go. Because this little human is becoming his own or her own person, and we get to kind of be there and be like, and then they leave. Looking out at some of you, and, and you're the parents of high school graduates. Uh, some of you, for the first time, your kids are graduating high school. And the kid's about to go. That's how it's supposed to work, right? The Bible says, raise up a child in the way that they should go. And I love to always emphasize, they should go, right? <laughs> but. We, even as they go, remain their parents. I would submit this to you. Some of you aren't at this stage yet. You do more parenting between the ages of 18 and 27 than you did between the ages of zero to 18. In some ways, at least. And it's harder. Because they, <laughs> they got the right to vote. You know? They're their own people. And you could just kind of stand on the sidelines and be like, that's not, okay, go ahead. All right, yeah. It never ends, and it shouldn't, because it's what God's given to our world for human flourishing, this whole parent-child relationship, this whole father-kid relationship, mother-kid relationship. This dynamic is meant to work well 
for the betterment of all of us. Both parents, obviously, needed wherever possible. But since today's Father's Day, Father's Day, let me just focus for a second on our dads. Uh, okay, the shirt. Here we go. Anybody steeped in Hebrew? This is a Hebrew word on the front of this shirt. It's going to show up there on the screens for us. Anybody know this one? You want to guess what it means? Father. Good play, fellas. Nice work. On Father's Day, we gave you the Hebrew word for father. That's right. But Hebrew is this great language. Of, of, of all the ancient languages, it's, it's one of my favorites because it started out as a pictographical language. Here's what that means. The symbols. Anybody read uh, Chinese before? Not probably because you don't know it. But uh, anybody seen like, you know, it's always funny to see guys get their, you know, Chinese tattoos and then they're like, it means strength. And then an actual Chinese person comes up and says, no, it means dog. Anyway, uh, that's my favorite. But uh, those ancient languages are pictographical. What it means is, is that there's symbols that actually mean, uh, you know, <clears throat> what it's saying. It's, it's one symbol and it means dog or strong or whatever. And, and, and Hebrew is this kind of a language. In its most ancient form, it's pictographical. So there's 20 uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. alphabet. The first one is the, word, or the letter Aleph. Everybody say Aleph. And then the second one is Bet. Everybody say Bet. And, and the Hebrew word for dad or father is the letters Aleph and Bet. This one's Aleph and this, no, I'm sorry. This one's Aleph. No. This one's a left, and this one's bet. It's hard when it's upside down. It goes from right to left instead of left to right. Am I doing that right? This one's a left, and this one's bet. Now, if I had a picture of their ancient symbols, this one would look more like a bull's head. It's actually a circle with some horns on it, okay? And this one would look more like a closed covering. And so the actual words that these ancient pictographical Hebrew letters stand for are ox and tent, and so when you read the, the word for father, as it appears in our Hebrew uh, translations of the Old Testament, for the first time in Genesis chapter 2, where it says, uh, a man shall leave his mother and father. The actual Hebrew word, if we pronounced it correctly, would be av. Everybody say av. It's literally A-B in our English translations, but it's translated av. From whence we get Abba in the Old, New Testament, as Jesus is crying out on this cross, he says ab and abba, which is kind of a more colloquial version of Ab. It's also a great band from the 70s, uh, Swedish band. But, um, but this Hebrew word Av actually means ox tent, which if you kind of go forward in, in translations, it means strong or strength of house. And so the very name for father, don't miss this guys, this is a teach shirt, not a t-shirt. When you wear this, you're going to have to tell people what this is. You're saying this is the Hebrew word for father, av, and its two letters mean ox tent or strength of house. What an apt word for what a dad is meant to be. We're meant to be the strength of the house, dads. It doesn't always occur that way, does it? Way too many dads are only strong for themselves. They leave their houses, or if they stay, they ignore their houses. That's not how it was meant to be. It's not how God designed us. It's not our calling as fathers. As fathers, we're here to be protectors, right? Fathers are protectors. So that when your kid goes to the lunchroom in first grade, he gets to have this argument with his kids across from me. My dad can beat up your dad, right? 
That comes from uh, their growing up and knowing that whenever anything goes crazy, I'm hugging one of these, right? Ever seen that kid? He's only about this tall, but you know, somebody new comes into this, the room or something like that, and the first thing they do is they go for the dad tree trunk. I'm going to hug this thing. I'm safe behind this. We're protectors. We're providers. Normally when we think of fathers, especially in our culture, that's what we think of, breadwinners. You know, we go out, pay the bills, right? It's usually our, our main defense for whatever we want. I pay the bills around, right? That's our big thing. But we, we shouldn't have just that limited view of, of, of fatherhood, fellas, if that is indeed what God has given us the opportunity to do for our families. It, it should go beyond just earning money. We should be providers of esteem for our wives, for our kids, of encouragement, of direction and correction. We're going to get into that today. We're protectors, we're providers. Here's one you might not have thought of. P word, of course, I'm preaching. We're preachers. Did you know, fathers and mothers, you're your kid's first preacher? It's not me. It's not Betsy or anybody else that's over there with your kids. You're the first preacher. You're certainly the most heard preacher in your kids' lives, especially as they grow up living with you. What you say and how you back up what you say with your actions preaches way louder than they'll ever hear me talk. So today I want to walk us through the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, a little bit, six verses. And I want to give for us what I think is a, a good dad talk, a good template for a dad talk. Anybody ever uh, been in a dad talk as a kid? Sometimes uh, they're stern, loud. Sometimes they're encouraging, like I just said. Sometimes um, they're informative. You know, most of the time as dads, when we uh, you know, talk to our kids or preach to our kids, we're trying to help them understand life. You know, so uh, here's how you tie your shoe. You know, make the bunny ears, you know, however you did it, right? Here's how you ride a bike. Don't let go of the handlebars, Junior. Bad things. <laughs> uh, as they get older, uh, what happened in my house is I took both of my sons around the age of 11 uh, uh, to Orlando, and we had the talk, right? Birds and bees. Anybody been in that one? That was fun. What do you want to know, Dad? Anyway, uh... <clears throat> anymore. But then they, they grow up and they, they get first jobs and how do I navigate this? And they, they find that person that, that's going to be their spouse and, and how do I navigate this? And then uh, they have their kids and how do I navigate this, right? We're informers as we give our talks and we act as preachers. Sometimes our talks are going to be vulnerable, need to be vulnerable, Everybody, I'm going to say this a little bit later in the sermon, but everybody knows that the only true mistake is the one you learn nothing from, right? And so as, as fathers, as mothers, as, as mentors, however it looks in your world, um, you need to be vulnerable with your mess-ups so your kids can learn from them too. Um, my dad's been gone for about seven years now, and uh, we had a great relationship and a not-so-great relationship. That basically describes a lot of parent-child experiences. Um, but when our relationship was great, uh, and the things that I remember about my times with my dad are the times that he took me to Fenway Park for the first time. And uh, I explained baseball to him because he was not into sports at all, but he knew I was. Uh, I remember um, him telling me, uh, you know, as I got my first job, 
you know, the, the, the ways that I should, uh, you know, handle some of my resources. I remember, though, most of all, the times when he messed up and he sat me down as his son and said, son, I messed up. Don't do this. I was 25 and uh, he called me as I was a youth pastor uh, on a ski trip in Colorado. He said, I'm resigning from my post as a pastor for the, you know, which I've done for the last 30 years. And would you come home and be a part of that whole experience? I, I flew home. And uh, as I got home, the first thing I did is I met dad at the door. I gave him a hug. I was so sorry for, you know, this experience he was going through. But he took me and he sat me in his car in the garage. It was where we'd have our talks. I don't know where you had yours, but that was like double padding, right? You had the car and you had the garage wall and we could just have our talk. And it was in there that through tears, he expressed to me, first of all, his sorrow and his um, seeking of forgiveness um, for me, his son, for the choices that he had made, the immoral choices that led to him no longer being able to serve as a pastor. And I just saw my brokenness, uh, the path I knew my life should not go on. And I'll be forever grateful to my dad. I'm certainly, uh, you know, would have been desirous for him to never have gone through that. But as a son, watching my dad be vulnerable and learning from his mistakes, I'll be forever grateful. We need to be informative. We need to be vulnerable. We need to be encouraging. You know, dads and moms, when you say it, it's different. You might not think that, but ultimately it's true. When you commend and encourage and esteem your kids, it just lands different. Be free with encouragements. Here's another thing I think. I think the Bible is like one big dad talk from our Heavenly Father. If, if I can put it in terms of that, let me, let me do that. He inspires the 40 authors to basically write down the things that they say so that we can know who he is and how he wants life to go. That's certainly on display in the Old Testament. I mean, from the beginning, he, he's talking, he's creating in chapter one of Genesis. He's you know, uh, dealing with humanity as he talks to, to Cain before he murders his brother. He says, what are you doing? He, he, he's talking to Noah about building a boat. He's talking to Abraham, whose name, by the way, Abraham, is father of multitudes. He's talking to all these guys and he's directing them. Uh, Abraham's son Isaac and his son Jacob. And then the, the sons of Jacob is through Moses, the prophet. He, he tells them, hey, we're, we're leaving. We're going away from Egypt and towards this promised land that, that was always ours because we're uh, descendants of Abraham. He's, he, he talks through all the prophets after that. Look at the back of your Old Testament. It's just dude after dude after dude who God spoke through to us, to Israel first and then to us. The Old Testament's just a big dad talk. And that continues in the New Testament, even though uh, the member of the Trinity who's highlighted there uh, is the son in the initial parts and then the spirit in the second parts, but, but the father continues to speak. In fact, a lot of the writers of the New Testament see themselves as fathers to those that they're leading. Paul writes to his buddy Timothy, and he calls him his beloved son in Christ, right? And he writes Timothy two dad talks, first and second Timothy. He writes to all of his other spiritual sons and daughters as he pens his epistles. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. It's a literal dad talk because it's written by a dad, Solomon, to his sons. It says this in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. 
That's poetry talk for do what I say, things will work out. Trust me. Follow me. So what we're going to do with this time we have left is just kind of go to a dad talk that I have been studying in the book of Hebrews. I've been in the book of Hebrews for the past year with one of my life groups. And, and here's my hope for all of us, especially you dads and moms. I want you to listen to this dad talk from Hebrews. But for all of us, even if we're not dads and moms, we are going to play um, the father role, the mentor role in someone's life spiritually. And these are the things that God would hope for us to convey as we are not only protectors and providers in those relationships, but we're preachers. Preach these things to your kids, whoever they may be. First one's this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to do this first. We're going to do whatever. This is what we're going to say to our, 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 our kids. Whatever you do, keep running in the direction of Jesus. I taught you these verses back in the first year that I was here, 2004. And I'm, I'm going to see if anybody remembers the motions. I taught you motions. I go like this. Therefore, if you want to try, you can try to keep up. Here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. I still don't know why that means hinders. I don't know why. I just like saying it that way. Throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangle us. And let's run with perseverance. The race that's marked, see what I did there, out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. In the old ways of the NIV, he was the author, but here it's the pioneer. I don't have a sign for pioneer, but he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. I think we stopped there. That's how I remember that verse. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing when you have to say it to someone and you're like, you know, but uh, <laughs> that's how you can remember. Let's just go through those verses real quick. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, anytime there's a therefore, you've got to ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore, and this particular therefore goes back to chapter 11, where men and women of the Old Testament faith were commended for having faith. It's, you know, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that with, without faith, it's impossible to please God. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, and he says, here's all the people who pleased God because of their faith. I'm not going to take time to list them all. You've got a Bible, read about them. It's awesome. But he says, therefore, since we have this great cloud or this great stadium, this great surrounding, um, you know, history of witnesses, those who have lived by faith, he says, first of all, let's remove everything that could keep us from running. What does he say? Let us throw off everything that hinders. Everything that hinders here are, are the good things that we make ultimate. Stuff like your job. It's not immoral to go to work. In fact, it's a good idea. But if you make your job your God or the money that you earn from your job your God, that good thing becomes a bad thing. Throw off those things that could hinder you in your pursuit of your ultimate, who is God. And then certainly, get untangled from the sins that are wrapped around your ankles as you're trying to run this race. This stuff, hey God, you can have everything except this. The writer of Hebrews, who by the way, I forgot to say this, he's writing to a bunch of people who are considering leaving the faith. What parent has to, hasn't had to deal with that one with their kids every once in a while? 
Yeah, it just kind of happens, especially in the world that we're growing up in. Kids, you know, go off and, and, and meet their other friends at colleges that teach them there is no God. They come back and challenge your beliefs. And a lot of times you're like, well, I don't know. This is just, and, and, and you try to help them understand and give them resources where they can. But for a time, sometimes kids get entangled in these wrong ideas. They get hindered by the stuff that doesn't matter. And so a good father, a good mother, a good mentor will say to them, hey, man, throw it off. Remove those things. And then it, the next thing it teaches us is to run and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. This life is a, is a, is a race. It's, it's a run. And it's got two qualifiers there. It's a race not of our own choosing. Everybody see that? It's a race that's marked out for us. Eleanor and I get in the car, um, you know, most days when she's planned something for us, and I find out we're going to Solomon's Castle in, in nowhere, Florida. It's all like, baby, how do we get there? I don't know how to get there. She says, no problem. And she takes out her phone, just like many of you do, and she said, Siri, directions to Solomon's Castle, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> That's how she says it. Anyway, uh, and then Siri comes back with, here's your directions to wherever, and then a line appears on the phone, and we just follow the line. Anybody with me on this? Okay, just so you know, God is our heavenly Siri. He has marked out a route for your life. Now, your route is going to be different than mine. There'll be similarities, but it's not like, you know, the, 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 the track at Daytona where it just kind of everybody's on the same thing. We make four lefts a bunch, right? Your route might be far more circuitous, maybe even more harrowing. You ever look at someone who's gone through it way more than you have and wondered, how did I miss that? How, how did that pass over me? Well, the will of God allows for certain difficulties in your life and other difficulties in other lives. Your race is unique, but it is from God, and you are meant to stay on the track. Teach your kids to stay on the track. Don't go ducking off into all these exits and, and shortcuts in life. Run the race that's marked out for you. And when you're running, keep running. Run with perseverance. There's going to be times where you got to slow down. There's going to be times that are going to be more difficult. There's going to be times, but never stop running. Whatever you do, keep your life running in the direction of Jesus. Got up yesterday morning to run my three miles. I got up a little too late because we're in that season now where if you go out around 8, 30, 9 o'clock, it's so hot, you want to die. I just want to be honest with you. You just want to die. If you can get out just as the sun's rising, which is earlier and earlier, making it harder and harder. But if you can get out just as the sun's coming up, it's doable. Three miles, no problem. But if you start running at 8.30 like I did yesterday, just, I don't maybe you're superhuman, but I just can't do it. So I get through the first mile, and I'm starting to get weary. And I do what the rest of you do. I start walking. This running stuff is just no fun. But then there's this little thing in my head, but running is where the benefit is, Mark pick it up. About 20 steps in, somebody, you know, the Holy Spirit just goes, and I, I get running again, right? I ran another mile. But then I was done, done. Anybody been there? The only problem is I'm two miles from my house now or however far that is. You know, and I'm too proud to call Uber, but uh, I got to get back. And so guess what? I kept walking. It got hotter and hotter, and I kept walking. Why? I gotta get home. That's where all the good stuff is. Gatorade, lazy boy, right? 
That's, listen, if you're a kid in here, well, we're all kids, somebody's kids. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ in here, run the race he marked out for you. Run towards him and keep going. Don't stop. Sometimes it'll feel like you're just crawling, but keep going. Fix your eyes, it says in verse two on Jesus. He's the pioneer. That means that's a Greek word, archagon, and from whence we get like architect. He's the designer, the, the beginner, the, the author, as it says in another translation. He's the pioneer and the perfecter. You know what it means when it says he's a perfecter? Certainly he comes as our aid, as our you know, uh, you know, uh, savior and our, our sanctifier, and he aids us in, in getting better and perfecting this life with him. But you know what uh, being a perfecter also means? It means that Jesus came as a man, as a human, and lived a life of faith perfectly. He pioneers the faith, and he perfectly lives out the faith. And so he is a worthy template for us to follow as we fix our eyes on him. Let's run like him. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and he scorned its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Whatever you do, keep running in the direction of Jesus. Teach your kids that. Teach your spiritual sons and daughters that. Don't ever slow down in your pursuit of Christ. Since Jesus, second thing, since Jesus made it through his race, so can we. Whatever you do, keep running in the direction of Jesus, but remember this, that since Jesus made it through his race, so can we. Look at what verse 3 says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I love that last phrase. It's not just this empty, not, 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 not that any of Scripture could ever be empty, but it's not just this like, you know, stop at, consider him who endured you, uh, from sinners such hostility against himself. You could have put a period there, but the writer of Hebrews says, no, here's why you consider him. This Jesus, who as he was um, hostily uh, come against, by those he created, everybody gets that when you read the Gospels, everybody who comes against Jesus, he made them. How would that make you feel? Probably like you feel when your kids, who you had a hand in making, come against you and your wishes. Probably those feelings of betrayal and disappointment welled up in the heart of our Savior, right? But he as he went through those hostilities, even to the point where those who he created beat him, nailed him to a tree, and laughed as he died. Consider him who went through all of that sinlessly, perfectly. Why? So that when you're going through your cross-bearing moments, when you're experiencing the difficulties that arise in anybody's life, you would remember that Jesus walked through these things and because he is with me, I can walk through them too and not grow weary and faint-hearted. It ties right into what it was saying about the, ver or the race. Run with perseverance, this race that's marked out for you. You know how you do that? Look to Jesus. He's not just the pioneer and the perfecter of your faith. He's the, he's the example that we follow in walking through things. Some of us have been blessed with a couple more kids than just the one. And, uh, and that first kid is always the guinea pig, right? Like they're the first ones to learn all this stuff. So uh, Ben, our oldest son, was the first one to learn to ride his bike. He was the first one to go off to school and come back and report to the other two what it's like. He was the first one in all of these things, heading to college, all these things. 
And the other two had the benefit of watching him go through it and learning the lessons that he learned as he continually fell off his bike the first week he tried to learn how to ride it and ended up throwing it in our neighbor's yard and almost taking out, you know, their dog. I don't know what he did. But uh, as they looked to him, they were emboldened. If older brother can do it, we can do it. Everybody gets that we are followers of Christ, but we are joint heirs with Jesus. You know what that means? That Jesus, in a sense, is our brother. And he has gone before us, in a sense, as our older brother. And combated, come against all of the, you know, the hostilities that you and I face on some levels, and we can look to him and know how to do this well. So whatever you do, in everything that you do, keep running in the direction of Jesus. Since Jesus made it through his race, so can we. It's all a good dad talk. Uh, verse four tells us that things could be worse. Always remember, things could be worse. This is the bright side verse. The writer of Hebrews comes to these persecuted uh, early Christians who are considering leaving the Christian faith, heading back to Judaism. That's why it's called Hebrews. And he says to them, hey guys, things could be worse. He says in verse four, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Remember, our, our template, Jesus, he was perfect even to the point where he, he was beaten and bludgeoned and, and lost his life, shed his blood. That hasn't happened for you yet. Who's had this conversation with your kids? Who, like, you know, chicken little, sky is falling, there's no way anything's gonna change, they're inconsolable. Who's had this discussion with a kid, anybody? Who's been this kid? Has anybody been this kid, right? And the father figure in your life, it was your real father, or someone who's coming alongside you spiritually as a father comes to you and says, hey, bro, chin up, buddy. Things could be way worse. Count your blessings as much as you count your curses. Understand, certainly this is gonna be hard. I'm not saying it's not gonna be hard, but we have a God who will see us through every storm, who promises never to leave us or forsake us, who will not, uh, you know, just tap out. He can be trusted. The last thing I wanna share with you is, is what the writer of Hebrews shares with these spiritual sons, per, per, perhaps, and daughters of his. He says, don't forget what you already know. Whatever you do, keep running in the direction of Jesus. Since Jesus made it through his race, so can we. I always remember things could be worse, and look at the bright side. But don't forget what you already know. Look at what it says in verse five. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? He's about to quote, that dad that I referenced a little while ago, his name's Solomon. He wrote the book of Proverbs. He's about to quote Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Which, you know, if these guys were good Jewish, uh, you know, followers before they became Christians, they would be familiar with the Proverbs. They would know what the Proverbs taught. They would be memorizing them like we memorize chicken soup for the soul or something like that. It was their wisdom. But it's interesting. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, have you guys forgotten? One more uh, maybe universal statement that we can all agree is true. See if you can agree with me on this. We cannot benefit from things we either do not know or fail to remember. Is that true? So uh, <laughs> has anybody ever tried to log into someone else's password? Like your wife you know, has a password protected website or whatever and you're like, what would that be? And you start typing in the things you want. You know, like my husband is awesome you know, or whatever, right? <laughs> and you're typing all the things that you think she would use, 
and none of them work. And, and here's how it works now in these security you know, programs for these sites. You get like five shots and then you're done. Then you're locked out forever and then she's mad at you because now she can't even get in, right? But then there's that more common one that we experience where we just forget our own password. Who's been there? Forgot to put it in your keychain or whatever remembers your passwords and you're like, what? This, I gotta do this? I haven't been on this website in years. And you just sit there and you try to, all, you got all your go-tos, don't tell me them, but you got yours, right? And you type all those in and none of them work. And you're like, what was I thinking on the day I signed up for this mess? The things that we don't know and the things that we forget are of absolute no use to us. That's why it's so important that you kind of make it your mission to show up here every week. Because does everybody understand preaching? Most of the time I'm not bringing revelation in the sense that new things. It's always God's revelation, obviously. But most of the time I'm not telling you stuff you don't know. It's not revelation. It's reminding. And why do we have to be reminded so much? Because we're thick, spiritually speaking, in the head. And we just forget the stuff that we know. The writer of Hebrews comes to these readers. He says, let's review. Have you forgotten? Look what he says to him. He says, have you forgotten, verse 5, the exhortation that addresses you as my sons? He says, and this is what it says in, in Proverbs chapter 3, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. He's going to start talking about discipline. I don't have a lot, a lot of time to go deep into this, but when we think discipline, what we usually think of? Punishment. Right? I'm going to get punished. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to lose. We think of discipline as, as, as a consequence. But God's idea of discipline is, 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 is almost never wrathful, especially for his children. His idea of discipline is correction. You're off my track. I gotta get you back. I gotta pop you back on the, on the race that I marked out for you. I gotta get you running with perseverance, this life that I've, I've designed for you. And so I'm gonna allow some things to happen in your life that might seem harsh or hard but they are classrooms that I need you to sit in so you can learn and be reminded of what this life is all about. So he, he uses Proverbs here to remind uh, you know, his wavering followers, these, these Jews who had no you know, push in their life with Christ and were thinking of leaving him. He says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Simply that means don't be dismissive of the hard things that God allows in your life. Don't just be like, ah, oh, this is just nothing. If something is difficult in your life, if God is using that thing, and it always is, for his glory and your good, figure out what he's trying to teach you. Follow him in those things. Don't be dismissive of the discipline that God brings in your life. And then don't be discouraged by the stuff that he brings in your life. Look at what it says. It says, do not be weary when reproved by him. Sometimes we look at what God allows in our lives and we think, God, he hates me. He, if he loved me, he wouldn't allow this to happen. And we fail to see, just like our kids fail to see when we ground them. Jerk. <sighs> that we're doing this out of love for him. Who's been the dad? Or who's, who's been the kid who's had a dad say to them, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? I was always like, whatever 
But as a father, I figured out that that's actually a true statement. If I could forego having to bring this calamity on your life, I'd prefer that. But you know what? For your sake, you're grounded. Not for my vengeance, not so I can walk around all bowed up like ox tent, right? (laughs) But so that you can learn, so that you can have what God hopes for you. Look what it says in verse six, and I'll let you go. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Verse seven starts like that. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Does everybody get what that means? God is treating you as sons and as daughters. It is for discipline that you have to endure. The reason you keep running with perseverance through the hard stuff of life is that God is molding and shaping in you the heart of Christ. He's he's chipping off all the pieces that are you that don't need to be there, the the things that hinder and the sins that so easily entangle. And he's freeing you up to live in the Christ-likeness that was invested into you when you receive Christ as your Savior. We endure so that we might be disciplined in this life that God has given us, this race that he's marked out for us. That's all the time I got. But every one of you, whether you're a literal dad and you get the t-shirt, way to go. Or you're a mom, or you're a friend who God is putting in kind of a, a spiritual mentor role over someone else or with someone else in life. You get to have a dad talk like the one we just went through. Now the dad talk that the writer of Hebrews gives his readers here basically is this, whatever you do, keep running in the direction of Jesus. Since Jesus made it through his race, so can you, so can I, so can we. I always remember that things can be worse. And even as things get worse, our reward is our future in glory in heaven. Don't forget what you already know. And don't miss what God's doing in the classroom of your difficulties. Learn. Don't get discouraged. Learn. Keep running the race marked out for us. We sing this song uh, that Darnish has been playing. Um, It's about uh, living water flowing from the heart of our heavenly Father. Spirit, we want your living water. Anybody remember us singing that? We're We're gonna change the words only so slightly today. And we're gonna sing it as a prayer for our fathers. All these fathers on Father's Day, I hope you get your socks or your tie or whatever you get for Father's Day. But I hope you get the message of what your shirt says. You're a strong, strong house. You're, you're the strength of your house. And you want the living water to flow from your heart as a father so that the Spirit can have his way in your life and in the lives of those uh, that are in your house. So we're gonna sing living water flowing from the hearts of our fathers. Spirit, we want your living water. Will you stand and sing that with me? Living water flowing through the hearts of our fathers. Jesus, we want your
all, Jesus, we want you. We want you to be our ultimate. Free us from the things that distract us from you. We want to run this race uh, with our eyes fixed on you, with you as our template, with, with you as our, uh, our courage and encouragement. Uh, we want to go on wherever we have the opportunities as dads, as moms, as mentors, to be encouragers of those in the race with us. Help us to do that. And may we together reach the finish line of our lives. Whatever the race required of us, may we reach the finish line of our lives and stand before you and have you say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. You ran well. You kept running. You brought me the glory that I deserved. And I worked my good through you to the world that desperately needed to see me. Give us that, God, we pray on this Father's Day. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great Father's Day. We'll see you next time.